Teaching Channel Talks. Every other week, I'll be talking to expert educators about how to tackle some of the most challenging issues in education. I'm your host, Wendy Amato. I'm the Chief Academic Officer for Teaching Channel and Learner's Edge. This week, I'm joined by Kwame Sarfo Mensa, author, educator, and founder of Identity Talk Consulting. Kwame, welcome. Thank you, Wendy, for having me. I'm excited to be on the podcast. Let's talk a little bit about identity in the classroom. And, and we hear this phrase, representation matters. What can you share about that? Well, when we think about identity, there are a lot of dimensions to identity. Of course, there's race, there's class, there's gender, there's sexuality, there's language, and we can go on and on and on. But when I think about representation, I think about the fact that now our classrooms are more diverse than ever. And because of that, students need to see exemplars of who they can be, who they can aspire to be. Uh, think about the fact that we still have 2% of black male in the education profession. That's still a number that we're trying to increase through um, retention, but as well as recruitment. And the number still hasn't really gone up over the past few years. So when I think about that number specifically, and then the other fact that I think 7% of our teaching force in the United States is uh, Black or African-American, if I'm not mistaken. The numbers may have changed, but it was definitely in single digits. We have to be aware of the fact that students can only aspire to what they see. And if all they see in the case of the black male perspective is someone playing basketball or someone being an entertainer, in their mind, those are the two main paths they can take. So my reason for going into the profession was to show them a different way. Teachers work really hard to incorporate inclusive representative materials in the curriculum. I see a lot of care being selected in the literature, uh, in the book authors, and the examples that are used in instruction. And I agree with you, with the increasing diversity in our student population, we have to be intentional about shifting the numbers so the students can see themselves. I've worked in some school environments where uh, teachers have said that the parents don't care about education or they're not making this a priority at home, and, and the teachers have said that they feel like they're working an uphill battle. There are some cultural differences about what education and what achievement looks like. Can you share some of your experiences in that, in that world, family dynamics, teacher expectations, and, and where may, there may be at times a, a, a misalignment? I think when we think about the misalignment with parental and family engagement in our schools, a lot of that comes with our frames of reference. So for myself, you know, being a black male educator, I'm already coming in with a mindset that I'm gonna have to do more than teach content in, within my four walls of the classroom. And because I teach in, I've taught in mostly urban Title I settings where the student population is predominantly uh, black or Latinx, I have students coming into my classroom with all kinds of trauma. 
I have parents who are working two, three jobs just to put food on the table and to financially provide for their uh, children. You know, those are the students that come to my class. So I already know that they're not going to be coming to the traditional parent-teacher conferences more than likely. I already know that if I call them, they may or may not pick up the phone. I'm not going to take it personal because I'm trying to contextualize what's going on in their lives. And some of the things that I've done in the past is do home visits. I've actually visited homes because I believe that if I'm a person of the community, right? If I teach in this community, I need to be a part of the community. That gives us some background information on how we can best instruct and interact with our students. Because if we know what's going on in the communities, we can bring that knowledge into the classroom and create a positive classroom environment where every student can express themselves and thrive academically and socially. I love this discussion because my question was thinking about that teacher who is waiting for the family, waiting for the community to plug in to the classroom structure. And that's really one-sided. And so you're reminding us that um, a family that may appear not to value education it is making, that's the teacher making an assumption about the family values. And especially when we look at actions like not attending a parent-teacher conference, if we interpret that as not caring, we may really be missing the boat. You mentioned standardized testing, Kwame. Let's talk about standardized testing and inequity. Uh, so standardized testing. One thing that everybody should know about standardized testing is they're culturally biased. Um, and there's research out there that will support this notion. And just to be clear, I'm not saying we should not do any kind of assessments. I believe that assessments are something that should be done in our school settings because we need to find a way to, to gauge a student's understanding of content. We need, we need some data points to really have that conversation. But we do need to make them equitable. And it's more than just the student assessments, it's even our teacher assessments, right? Our praxis test, our state test that we need to take to get licensure. Because ultimately, when we look at our teacher ed programs, and there's a great book that talks about this, which I'll mention in a second. Um, the people who are centered in those programs do not look like you and I, but yet, they are the people who we need to know about in order to pass the test. So I'm talking about the Jean Piaget's. I'm talking about the Levis Skoskis. I'm talking about the Edward Skinner's, the Maslow's, the Blooms of the world. These are the people who we learn about in our traditional teacher ed programs. And the theories have a place in our educational landscape. But when we go into the classrooms, we still need to develop who we are gonna be ultimately as educators. And that's where shape the teacher identity comes in because we can go to a practicum, learn all we need to learn from our mentor teacher. But if we don't take that template that the mentor teacher provided and transform it into something that is authentic to us and to our beliefs and to our philosophies as educators, our principles, we're not going to have longevity in this profession. I know 
we kind of went off a tangent a little bit because you're talking about standardized testing, but I think it's all interconnected. It is interconnected because when we talk about standardized testing, we're also talking about that larger infrastructure that our schools are, are, are built around. And so, so the, the, the transition works for me, Kwame. I'm okay with where it's going. In fact, you mentioned Lev Vygotsky, and I, I talk about him a lot as a teacher educator myself and this concept of a zone of proximal right. development. It's, it ties right back into what you're saying. If we work with students and recognize this zone of proximal development, it means we have to know where they are first before we can look at any kind of scaffolding or growth or movement towards a learning objective. We have to meet them where they are. And, and we have to know who they are, which means we have to know who we are. And that moves us right back into teacher identity. There, is, there, are, there are themes that circle around what makes good teaching and learning. And, and they're all right here for us. Tell me a little bit, of, um, we're, we're getting into an area when we talk about standardized testing, when we talk about educational infrastructure, tell me about um, hidden curriculum versus stated curriculum. We, we know that there are some things that are out there that are spoken, that are the, the, the declared and posted mission of a school. And then we know that sometimes there's a reality and the lived experience of the teachers and the students inside the building. What are your thoughts about hidden curriculum? Hidden curriculum is meant to be hidden. Mm. Now, now, what do I mean by that? Yeah, tell me more. When we think about our K-12 school system as currently constructed, the way it is designed was never designed for Black, Indigenous, and people of color in the first place. I think that's number one. And I think the history can support that as well. Um, so we hear about the whitewashing of American history. In 2021, we have all these people talking about anti-racism, right? Being anti-racist educators, having an anti-racist curriculum. And even though the term might be new and fresh because of uh, Dr. Ibram Kendi and his book, anti-racism has been here for a very long time. It's just that we've been calling it different things. Uh, multiculturalism, we've been calling it culturally responsive teaching, we've been calling it culturally sustaining practices, culturally relevant pedagogy. Not that they're all exactly the same, but they're all in that same uh, ballpark. Even going back to Gloria Ladson Billings, when she wrote her book Dream Keepers, she was talking about this uh, 30 plus years ago. So with hidden curriculum, um, we could talk about Common Core, we could talk about next generation standards, all those frameworks. But ultimately, it comes down to pedagogy, because I think pedagogy trumps the stated curriculum. And good pedagogy sometimes can't be taught. You can have tools that are given to you by your teacher education program. But a lot of what good pedagogy is, is having a feel for your learners. And that's really the root of culturally responsive teaching is this idea of empathy. If you care about your students, if you care about them succeeding, you're going to go the extra mile to figure out what makes them tick, what information, what, how do they process information, but also 
how do they best interact with the content they're being taught in school, right? And and with um, hidden curriculum, we have to do a better job of unhiding that curriculum. And part of that is identifying biases in our textbooks, identifying invisibility in our textbooks, um, seeing where whiteness manifests itself within textbooks and other instructional materials. And when I say whiteness, I'm not talking about, you know, white race. I'm talking about just those different concepts and those different nuances that help to perpetuate white hegemony. And in order for us to unhide this hidden curriculum, we need to reframe our mindset when it comes to our students and when it comes to understanding how their cultural profiles manifest themselves in the classroom environment. Teachers, most of us keep our eyes open for affordable, flexible, and relevant continuing education. Learner's Edge is the leading graduate credit continuing education provider and has met the needs of over 100,000 teachers. With Learner's Edge courses, you can enjoy your continuing education from the comfort of your own home because the courses are online and self-paced. That means you can work on your course whenever and wherever you'd like. Go to learnersedge.com teaching for a promo code to save 10% off your next course. That's a lot of coffee. Kwame, you talked about the classroom and the way student behaviors can be perceived and interpreted in different ways. I'd like to challenge the education community to be very careful with the descriptors that they use. I'm thinking about that difference. What's, what is the line between stubborn and persistent? What is the line between sneaky or creative? What is the line between um, being pushy or being a self-advocate? And we need to think about those and what kind of interpretation of behavior we assign to the students in our classrooms and honor the expressions that they bring. Well, in order for us to assess behavior, context is so important. Context is everything. We have to do a better job as educators when it comes to diagnosing the behaviors of students and getting to the root of the behaviors. Because if a child is cursing at you, and I've had a lot of kids use all kinds of words, and I'm not going to say them because I want to keep it clean. When those things happen, initially, you want to retort because you're the authority figure. No, no child is supposed to talk to you like that, right? Right. It triggers a defensive mechanism. It does trigger a defense mechanism. But instead of taking that approach, which is what too many teachers take, why don't we take a more restorative approach? Let's diagnose what's happening. Let's have a conversation. Has the child eaten today? Mm -hmm. Now we're getting to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Mm -hmm. Does the child have clean clothes? Is a child responsible for having to wake up their three siblings out of bed and get them ready? Get for everybody ready for school. Yep. Maybe that's why they're coming to school late every day.
because mm-hmm. they have to drop their five-year-old um, brother off at this school. Then they got a detour and dropped their seven-year-old sister off at this school before they can even start their journey to their own school. That's probably why they're late. Getting back to the, the original question about behavior, behavior has to be diagnosed. Just like if you were, if you were to uh, go to the doctor, right? You're feeling sick. The doctor's job is to diagnose why you're sick. So what do they do? They take tests. They ask you questions, right? In order for them to come to a conclusion as to what you may be suffering from. And based on the consistent probing and interrogating and the different many assessments they do on you, they're able to get to that point. We have to take that same approach with our students. And that, once again, comes down to empathy. Empathy, empathy, empathy. You have to care. You have to be invested. Kwame Sarfo Mensa, thank you for sharing this conversation with me. I really appreciated exploring important topics with you. To listeners, thank you for joining us this week. The links and references that Kwame and I talked about are located for you in the show notes or at teachingchannel.com slash podcast. You can register for my free webinar with Kwame at teachingchannel.com slash identity. Make sure to subscribe on whichever podcast app you're using so you don't miss an episode. We'd also love it if you could leave us a rating and review so that more educators can find us. You can find Teaching Channel on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to let us know what you thought about this episode. And you can find me at Wendy underscore education for some light talk about educational issues. I'm there on Instagram. See you in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for listening.